The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools and investors seeking promising ag tech startups or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. The interesting thing that we're seeing, though, is that even though the economy is obviously not doing great, ag tech and agriculture as a whole has never been hotter. And so arguably, this is a really good time to actually start something because you have a shot at getting contracts that you probably wouldn't have got three, four years ago, particularly if you're you know, well-networked within your local community. It's an interesting time. Everyone's short of products. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ag tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 5, welcome back. If this is your first time listening, you are in the right place. This is the show where we interview fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies from around the world. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Last week, in case you missed it, we had on founder and CEO of Vertical Futures, Jamie Burroughs. He's a passionate leader with extensive knowledge of the indoor ag tech space, and he, we talked about his passion for health, life sciences, and addressing the critical issues like climate change, food inequalities, and population health. Make sure you check that out if you haven't already. This week, we welcome back Nicola Kurzlaki, founder and CEO of Contain. She joins the show today to discuss three exciting and innovative areas of ag tech she and her team are working on. We learn about her new micro-learning platform, the importance of diversifying revenue streams, and what trends she's noticing in the overall ag tech industry. Always nice to have early guests returning so we can learn what they've been up to. As we wrap up season five, we are opening up sponsorships for season six. So if you are interested in sponsoring this podcast, where we focus specifically on the inspiring stories of our founders and CEOs, we've been getting tons of great reviews and feedback from the show. We've got a whole slew of new interviews coming up for season six. Really excited to share them with you. We started recording those as we speak. Reach out to me directly, harry at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. 
This episode is brought to you by the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. Each week, our team member Noah brings you the latest and greatest in the world of vertical farming. Sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. Always on the lookout for new reviews of the show. If you are enjoying any of the past episodes or this episode or the whole podcast, I'd love it if you leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. Nothing makes me happier than to read those out on future episodes. Okay, let's get into round two with Nicola. So Nikola Kozlecki, founder and CEO of Contain, thank you so much for joining us again for round two on the Vertical Farming Podcast. Thanks for having me. Good to be back. Yeah, you were saying you did a little bit of uh, looking back and I did myself as well. And uh, May 2020, I think, <laughs> was when we had our first conversation. And I want to thank you publicly for jumping on the show early on. That was episode seven. And now we're up 50 plus, I think 55, 56 so it's been a wild ride for us, and I appreciate you supporting the show in those early days. I know. Congrats on the uh, on the show's success, and good to see someone covering the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how have you been? Have you been doing any traveling, making it to any of the conferences? We have been kind of heads down getting on with new projects and teams bigger. So much has changed. It seems, you know, two years has been yeah. kind of crazy. A lot has happened in two years, to say the least. It's a challenge when you start a show in the middle of a pandemic and you never know like what direction it's going to take. So I think it's been interesting to hear all the stories of resilience, people, you know, changing business models, some people having success, some not, and I'm sure you've had a front row seat to to a lot of those companies and and what's been working, what's been not. So I I'd love to hear, you know, since then what's been happening in the world of contain well, so I think the the one thing when I was looking back last night is uh, we have three new uh, kind of product areas, areas of interest. I think when we chatted last, I said, you know, we're, we're working on stuff that's going to be of service to the industry. And since then, we've been able to roll some of it out. So that's been great. So we, do you want to just rattle through them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get started. Again, <laughs> love to hear more about what's happening. Probably the biggest one is um, Equipped which is essentially an eBay for indoor ag equipment. We had a number of folks coming to us and saying, you know, we we really want to start a farm. We really want to expand our farm, but we either can't afford or don't want to jump in fully with brand new equipment. And at the same time, we were getting vendors coming to us saying, you know, hey, we're upgrading these guys and we're not sure what to do with their old lights. And so it seemed obvious to create a platform where folks could, could trade that equipment. And where was that idea born? Was it just something that internally, have you done a marketplace before? Or, you know, I'm wondering, because there's no shortage of ideas, obviously. And as an entrepreneur myself, I know that there's always like new things I want to start. But how do you make a decision like that to decide to put a marketplace like that together? So we actually started working on the idea back in 2019 when we were at Techstars. And we were really fortunate there to have a number of mentors who had done things with with marketplaces. And so, for instance, we spoke with someone who had been really involved in the early days of Uber Eats, which we think was a huge success. But actually, what was fascinating is learning how many iterations they went through before they figured out, okay, this is how it's going to work. And then we were also fortunate that one of our team, Marilyn, had some experience in payment processing and in dealing with vendors. And we ended up getting quite close to Stripe, who I have to say were amazing. They really understood what we were doing and were willing to, to jump in and help us out with it. So we had a lot of help along the way to get that launched at the beginning of this year. And what's been the the feedback? What's been the results so far? Uh, so it, it's been awesome. 
We have Matt, a new team member, working full time on it now. It's been, you know, as ever with these things, you it goes in directions that you don't expect. So our expectation was that we would do a lot of container farms. What we found is that, surprise, anything that helps to offset labor is really popular. So any kind of uh, seeding equipment or automatic harvesting equipment, anything along those lines goes very quickly. And then the other thing that it hadn't occurred to us is that folks are looking for a lot of ancillary equipment around their grow. And so, yeah, it's been quite the journey. And are you seeing specific applications or usage of of the marketplace in certain sectors or certain industries or certain geographies? It's really across the board, but I'd say, you know, where most of the interest comes on the sell side is folks who've either finished building their farm and then realize, oh, we've got a whole container full of equipment. It didn't occur to us we had and or folks who are who are not going to farm any longer. So and then on the on the buy side, it's really across the board. We get calls from folks in Singapore saying, you know, can you help source us this particular piece of equipment? We're also happy to, to go source equipment for folks. So you know, that's a, a service that we have on the site all the way through to you know, exactly what you'd expect. Folks with leafy green farms who are looking to expand and have a timeline. Very good. Very good. And then so how do you think uh, do you see the, the growth of that? getting bigger? Is it? Are you happy with where it's at now? Or are there other opportunities there that, that are untapped? I mean, we'll always, we'll never be satisfied with where we're at. We're always looking kind of three steps down the road. Like what do you, I mean, like every uh, startup, what do you do next? How do you expand this? What direction can you take this in? Yeah. So I think there's, there's both a expansion of the platform itself. And then there's also taking the platform in a couple of other directions. I'm sorry, I'm being intentionally opaque because it's still, <laughs> <laughs> we're still working on when do you think you'd be able to announce what's happening there? Because we'd like to keep tabs on it and we're happy to promote it when it's when you're in its news, public news. Well, and thank you for that. We really appreciate that. The Hopefully at some point in the next couple of months, we'll have some stuff to push out. Okay. So keep folks, uh, keep your eyes peeled on contain.ag to learn more. <laughs> yeah. And the equip site is equip.farm. Okay. And so what else have you guys been working on since last book? So we also launched a project called Rooted, okay. which is a micro learning platform that helps corporate employees learn to grow a little of their own food at home. So the genesis of that was really during lockdown when folks started asking us, you know, how do we grow at home? Everyone all of a sudden really wanted their own garden, right? Which, um, and I don't have the first clue. I mean, I can just about grow cat grass. That's it. <laughs> So this is interesting because this is a broader societal trend that folks want to get back in touch with being able to grow for themselves and being able to to have something in their lives, particularly in this era of Zoom, that is not just interaction with a screen. Sure. And so that's really how Rooted came to be. And the way that it works is we typically engage with a, a large company we work with, you know, for instance, one of the largest tech companies in the world. And we drop ship grow kits, consumables, really everything they would need to start growing to their cultivators, so to their employees' door. And then we give them access to our platform. And on our platform, they learn to grow through stories, same way that, and that's really using micro learning techniques, which say that most of us learn better if we're being told a story rather than a series of steps. And so we, our stories are things like, how do I grow my own cocktail ingredients? How do I grow the hottest pepper? And you've got everything you need in your home to do that. Okay. And the stories typically 10 to 12 episodes, each a sub five minutes. And some of them are, here's how to plant seeds. 
Some of them are, you know, here's what to look for. And then others are the broader societal and cultural impact of that particular crop. So we film the stories all over the world. We went foraging in the woods outside uh, Pennsylvania with a professional forager for the, our mushroom story. We shot in a mission star restaurant in Shanghai for another story. And we shot in Thailand. So the idea is that, that this is using food as, as a, a way of unifying cultures and of unifying people and saying, hey, just because you're sitting in Singapore doesn't mean you don't have something in common with someone sitting in, in London. So, and then the third piece is we have a social and a support aspect to this where folks can come onto the platform and share their stories, their photos, their disasters. <laughs> and we have some plant scientists that we work with who, if folks have challenges, if they're having aphid problems or something, we can get them a response on, on what they should do within 48 hours or so. So yeah, it's been, sorry. No, I was just going to ask you because the concept for it is interesting. So do you work specifically with HR departments and is the content available publicly or is the content available specifically for the employees of that company? Uh, right now, the, the content is just for the employees of our, our clients. We typically work with corporate wellness, HR, food and beverage as well. So, but yeah, that's another, you know, like everything we do that that's probably going to evolve also. And where did the idea for that come from? I know that you said it started pre-COVID and obviously with everyone on lockdown, but when did you feel that there was something that was going to, that was something that was needed in these companies? So it was really summer 2020 that we, we did a lot of testing on, on various folks to get the format down. It started off very different and indeed has been iterated since, but it was really kind of summer 2020. We said, yeah, we should do a pilot on this. And we wrote a list of kind of our five dream clients. And we said, if we can get two of these guys to sign up, then we've got something. And we stopped at number four, because all four said yes. Yeah. So at that point, we realized, yeah, okay, this will work. And we've had amazing feedback from it. It's really one of the most satisfying pieces of what we do, because it is actually bringing joy to people's lives. So we had one cultivator who said that she used to get up go make a cup of coffee and sit down in front of Zoom. She said, now I get up, see how my plants are doing, then make coffee. And she says, it means I have a little bit of joy every morning. So it's nice to be able to bring that. Sorry. Uh, yeah. So is everything self-contained? So the obviously the, you're doing all the the shooting of the videos, but all the equipment that the people are being sent, that's all sourced from Contain as well? Yeah, so we source it obviously from third parties. And if anyone listening to this is a producer of mushroom bags, at-home grow kits, seeds, substrates, solution, uh, nutrient solution, always love to hear from folks. That has been a big challenge for us, as you can imagine, during, yeah. during these, these days of supply chain issues. And do you see this as a initiative that you'll continue specifically with companies on a one-to-one -one basis? Or is this something that at some point you may have some sort of university or grows university aspect to it as it as it expands i don't think we do grow as university but yeah we're definitely thinking about how do we get it to more people yeah i think that's our our interest i mean there are amazing university courses as you know from folks like university of arizona and you know we certainly and you know folks like am hydro crop king do great kind of uh, professional education so i don't know that that's our bag yeah but we're certainly interested in how do we get this into the hands particularly of the next generation of farmers and have you found that the initiatives with equipped and with rooted are growing awareness for the the work you guys are doing at, at contain uh, so it grows awareness and then more importantly for us it 
you're, if you're coming onto equipped, the odds are you may need financing. Yeah. And so I'm curious, since we last spoke, Nicola, it's been two years and obviously the core business of, of what you're doing in terms of uh, the leasing, the consulting and, and the insurance work. What have you seen? Can you talk a little bit about anything that's been happening in the industry trend wise or just you know what your experience has been from because of the, the perspective you have? Sure. And so, you know, definitely on the leasing side, we're busier than we've ever been. And I think that's a reflection of just how much more mature the industry is now. There was really a step change somewhere in, I'd say, kind of summer 2020, when the calls we were getting were from larger lenders, larger firms. And there was definitely a sense that this is no longer a time to kind of play around or for the industry to to figure itself out that now this was shifting to a completely different footing and had to be a piece of the food supply chain at this point. And so on leasing, I would say that we're we're obviously working with a much bigger pool of lenders than we were two years ago. Mm -hmm. And they have a much better understanding of the industry and of the risk associated with it. And that has made our lives a lot easier. The other thing that's made our lives easier is the we're definitely seeing obviously much more equity investment into the sector. I think there was like just under half a billion in the first quarter. Things have calmed down a little bit recently, but that in turn has meant that you have a much better shot at getting uh, lease financing yeah. if you're coming in with some equity already on the balance sheet. So um, that's definitely helped us. And then the third factor that's been big is just the hard work that our teams put in. So we're now up to over 60 vendors that we work with. Okay. And so how has the the makeup of the company itself changed in terms of size, number of employees, and how it's grow and the, the pace at which, at which you're growing? Uh, so we're definitely seeing larger farms and we're definitely seeing more expansions. So we're still seeing, you know, a fair number of, of startups, but yeah. the conversations are very different now. It's and they're much more credentialed as well. So we're seeing folks coming in saying, you know, I've got this winter lettuce contract and I need to be up by September. Oh, okay. Can you help me figure this out? And, you know, this is really where our experience in working with the vendors comes to bear, particularly with the supply chain challenges that are, are going on. And have you seen that the distribution or the sources in terms of geographically located, where there's interest in your services, has that increased dramatically? And has that become more diverse of people from all over the globe coming to work with you and in terms of the partners that you work with as well? Yeah, so we definitely get... So I'd say, you know, one big trend on the vendor side is European vendors wanting to do more in the US. Okay. That's definitely one. The other is we do and always have had inquiries from all over the world. And so we do on occasion look at European deals now and on occasion some parts of Asia as well. The challenge there is how do we make sure that we can give them the same level of service that we could a US farmer? So that's something we think about a lot. And how do you see the the growth? What have you seen so far? I mean, I imagine at some point you, you follow trends in terms of what's coming in, in terms of investment dollars. So what's standing out for you right now in terms of where you see that we're headed? So the call, I mean, we talk to investors all the time and the the calls that we used to get were we want we want a, a farm that has a little bit of revenue that has you know, the perfect management. And we don't get that call anymore. What we get now is, I don't want to do another leafy green farm. So, you know, insects are super hot right now, of course, mushrooms, anything that's protein related, alternate crops, we get asked about a lot. And then the other thing is we're finally starting to see branching out from folks just investing in farms to wanting to do tech that's around the industry. 
So in terms of leasing deals, not just specifically for the farms, but uh, just more tech specific to certain types of... Sorry, that's more on the equity side for us. Yeah, I would say we see more mushrooms now and we see more more diversity of crops. And so on, when you start looking at the diversity of crops, and you, you look at crops like mushrooms. I imagine there's a different skill set and a, and a different, I imagine some point technology required for those initiatives. And so are, are you seeing that change in any way, the dynamic of type of equipment or the type of setup time that's needed to get these up and running? So equipment's definitely different. Yeah, I don't know about, I'm the wrong person to ask about the actual farming techniques and, and that kind of stuff. But in terms of what we're getting asked for, it doesn't change that much because the actual, I mean, you need a grow system, you need some lights, and you need the HVAC and, and then probably a fairly sophisticated control system. And that really hasn't changed. And I don't know that it will. I think we'll see, you know, iterations of that. But we're not seeing anything that's like, okay, now all of a sudden we're, you know, growing, hanging off the ceiling or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The concepts were still the same. Yeah. So just the, you may have answered this earlier, but just I'm, I'm curious, has the size of the company changed since we last spoke? And is that, continue, is that growth trajectory still continuing? Uh, for Contain, yes. So we raised around at the end of 2020 and the team's grown fairly significantly since then. We also, you know, we're just more mature as a as a company. And then I'd say, you know, the, that in turn has allowed us to do some new things like we just introduced some data products because our databases are now large enough that we have sufficient data points to be able to do that. So the first two... Is there anything you can speak of right now? Yeah, sure. So the first two that we've launched... A buzz index, which basically looks at how often the industry is mentioned in the media. And that we're hoping over time we can correlate to investment in the sector. So that's one. And then the other is a stock market index. So as you're probably aware, a number of, of companies have, have gone public. And so we formed that into an index and are tracking that. And those two are both available for free on at the Contain website, contain.ag. And we update them, I think, monthly and send them out to uh, to subscribers. And then we also have started writing briefing papers also, which again is really in a response to, you know, what questions are the team getting at the moment that we can answer more efficiently and disperse to more folks by doing something publicly. So we did one on 2021 funding, M&A and so forth. And then we did a second on ESG in indoor agriculture, which is something investors were asking about us about a lot. And we're trying to release those roughly once a quarter. It just depends how busy the team is and how, how easy it is to schedule interviews, as you'll know all about. So what do you see for yourself as you're, you're leading this company into this new phase of growth? What do you think are some, some of the challenges you're going to face going forward? So, you know, the big challenge is always the speed of growth in the industry. Um, although it's, you know, from the outside, it's growing very quickly, as I'm sure plenty of, of your guests have told you. Day-to-day deals take a long time. Yeah. So that's definitely one challenge. I'd say the second challenge is what on earth is going to happen with the economy? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you have any bets, but. <laughs> no, I think I, there's people that are much smarter than me that have uh, guessed wrong. So just to think that I might have an answer <laughs> is probably just uh, not, not a good uh, business to be in forecasting right now. Yeah. So, and similarly, we just, I don't think we've been in a time like this before. So. Yeah. So that one is probably the, the second big challenge. How do you think of that as a leader of company and in terms of you know planning? You know, you think 
you probably don't want to think more than three three years out at this point because things are changing so uh, dramatically. So as you think about a, a 12-month roadmap, like what are some of the key things you think you want to get accomplished between now and then? So I, I, mean, I think the only thing you ever can do is make sure your own balance sheet looks healthy and build in as many options as you humanly can. And we're fortunate that we have you know, diversified sources of revenue and we have you know, diversified products. And we're you know, like much of the industry, we have a lot of opportunity ahead of us right now. A lot of folks that we can partner with, a lot of directions we can take stuff in, but it's going to be rocky. And I've no idea <laughs> what direction anything's going to go in. And I think the other thing we're really fortunate in is that the team is pretty tight knit. So that, that really helps. And do you see any, are you providing guidance to folks that are coming to you looking for leasing and insurance options? Because I, I imagine it could be a, a strike while the iron is hot moment. You know, if there's continuing to be funding coming in and, and there's still deals being made, but are, is there anything, any caution for folks as they start to, you know, you start to work on new deals? Well, so the interesting, so we definitely don't provide guidance to anyone. I mean, we know more than anyone else about what's going to happen. The interesting thing that we're seeing though, is that even though the economy is obviously not doing great, ag tech and agriculture as a whole has never been hotter. And so arguably this is a really good time to actually start something because you have a shot at getting contracts that you probably wouldn't have got three, four years ago. So particularly if you're you know, well-networked within your local community, it's an interesting time. Everyone's short of product. So I don't know that it's the worst time. I mean, again, we don't guide people. We're not here to make a judgment if you want to. We're here to provide a service, not to to say, well, this is a good idea or a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And so th- when you think about the have the diversified streams of revenue been helpful for you? Because it's obviously something that you were thinking about early on and maybe foresight, you know, thinking about where, you know, diversifying was probably a, a good idea to have. And so do you have enough data points right, right now to see that that's working out for you? Yeah, and no, I think it's really important. And we've talked to, there are definitely, there's a cadre of VCs in particular who really don't get the benefit of it because their their worldview is you have a brilliant idea, you hammer down on that brilliant idea, and then you and then you raise on the back of that. And I, you know, that's definitely one model. That's not the model that we're using. And it's been really interesting. You know, early on, we talked to a lot of people in solar, and that was really where that learning came from. And what their opinion was, was you know, in a growing industry where you're not quite sure where things are going to shift, you need to almost hedge your bets. And it's been the other folks that we've talked to more recently who've been really interesting on this topic of folks who've been building kind of independent media companies. So that's been really interesting because you know, if you look at something like Barstool Sports, for instance, which is you know somewhat controversial, but an interesting business model, they have numerous I mean, they're selling merchandise, they're doing events, they're, they're doing whatever the heck they do with their, their, uh, their stock exchange stuff. Yeah, so, and I'm not suggesting that we're going to replicate that in any way, but it's just as a business model, it's kind of interesting to see that some of the more successful folks are not building stuff conventionally. Yeah, it's interesting to think about it from a media perspective, because when people think of vertical farming, you know, the first thought is of the the equipment and the farming itself, but there's a whole ecosystem that's happening. I mean, we just spoke about the conferences. There's there's no shortage of conferences, <laughs> and then they, don't, they all start to sound alike at some point, and they're, they're happening all over the world. There's conferences in Dubai and Europe coming up later this year as well. And I think to, to your point, the Barstool Network model is interesting because... There's 
everyone is seeing what you you know what we're talking about here the influx of investment into the space the interest in the space so now there's an education perspective and and that's something that you're that you're seeing have success with rooted so i think it's interesting to see how that plays out and how much room there is to grow there in terms of the media and all the education there's because as as much as we're in it in the day to day and learning more now in the past few years than i than i ever knew about the industry there's still it's a closed system not in terms of like awareness, but just that people know about it because you have to educate people into what vertical farming is. And I think it feels like there's still a lot of opportunity for education and growth on that side of the space. I think, well, I don't know if it's education per se. I think there's always, you know, any successful industry has an ecosystem around it. And so, you know, our guiding principle is always, so how are we of service to the industry? As I mentioned with Rooted, you know, we said, is this something that the world actually wants? We went out and road tested it. And then came back to building it. I think one of the tricky balances you always have is you don't want to deviate off course, but at the same time, you have to be open to the fact that this is an industry that changes really quickly and that is going to be in fashion and out of fashion. We're going to have, you know, farms are inevitably going to go under once VC money gets pulled. And we just have to be kind of aware that that's coming. And at the same time, you know, we're not backed by an excess of capital. And so we're very cautious about, you know, how we work with folks, if that makes sense. Yeah. Have you seen any, based on your past experiences and uh, maybe even past careers or, you know, past engagements with other companies, is, do you see any parallels in terms of other trends that are, people can look to, to or that are similar to what's happening now in vertical farming and just something, you know, that we can be aware of or, or be conscious of in terms of what may or may not happen in the future? So the one that I keep coming back to is solar. Yeah. I mean, if you remember that huge wave of investment, which was much, much bigger than what we've seen into indoor ag, sure. but that huge wave of investment. And then there was a kind of bloodbath. And and then out of that actually came much stronger companies, which were much better capitalized, which were much more mature. And I think the thing we always think through is, well, are we going to have that? Is there going to be that kind of, I think, Someone wrote an article on it earlier in the year and said, you know, a kind of valley of despair. And I don't know. Who knows? But I do think that, you know, how do you go from an industry where people are willing to put in venture capital dollars to an industry where people are willing to put in growth capital, insignificant size? And so I'm curious where you go to, Nicola, for information, for inspiration, for guidance, for, you know, prognostication, for just learning, or how do you keep up on what's happening? Like, who's a trusted source for you? I'm the worst person in the world to ask this because I'm not, I mean, I, I listen to, you know, the usual stuff, the Economist podcasts and Wall Street Journal, New York Times, et cetera. But I'd say, you know, the people that I get the most inspiration from are, we have some great mentors who I talk to a lot who are off doing the most esoteric things. I mean, one of them I was talking to yesterday and he's super into psychedelics now, like crazy into it, and about the potential of that whole sector. And so that's always inspiring. Then, you know, I have friends who are artists and, you know, how they're thinking about the world is so inspirational. I was talking with a, a friend in Greece the other day who you know, has literally built a career out of art and is now figuring out, like, how do you combine online and offline when it comes to comes to art yeah and is doing some just crazy cool stuff with that yeah it's interesting to see what's happening especially where we are because we're recording this in june 2022 and which is the the bear market in crypto (laughs) that doesn't seem to end and so that's an interesting correlation because you know there's 
you know, we talk about the things that drive the market, you know, fear and greed. And right now the fear index is at its, I think, all time low with people just not having any confidence. You know, I think it's going to adjust and your guess is as good as mine as to when that's going to happen, because it does feel like that is the future, like some sort of crypto, some sort of digital currency contracts. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, if there's anything you dabble in or, or have thought about, you know, when it comes to agreements and leases and a lot of these typical old ways of doing things, agreements that is there any opportunity for innovation in that space when this finally you know, starts to tick its way back up? Absolutely. And if you look at the, I mean, there's a range, right, of what people expect from, you know, the the kind of shallow recession expectation that we've seen out of kind of the Fed end of the world, all the way through to the world's going to end and we're going to be, you know, it's going to be some sort of dystopian nightmare. Sure. And if we shift towards the the kind of dystopian end of it and, and argue that you know, this is, and heaven forbid, but this is the end of the dollar as the reserve currency, then, I mean, the Fed's already signaled that they're looking at, at some sort of digital currency as a as a replacement. And I think at that point, your the kind of contracts that you have with folks is going to change pretty dramatically. And then it becomes, you know, how intrusive does capital become into your farm? It's both a good and bad thing. So one of the things that Bitcoin gives you is the ability to to do things semi semi anonymously, and that clearly isn't that clearly doesn't work with the leasing situation. But at the same time, what it also gives you is much more flexibility around, for instance, could you go in and correlate payments to what the farm itself is doing? Mm, that's interesting. And I think that's right. we're a million miles from that right now. Yeah. But I do think that's going to be an interesting one for the future. And are we going to see? A situation where instead of pledging assets or pledging other equity, people are pledging their their wallets, pledging their you know their Bitcoin assets or their digital assets as a whole. I don't know, but I think there's a lot. Just thinking about even how you talked about your friend who is an artist, just the idea of artists being compensated now for you know in the NFT space for you know separate from the the ten thousand pieces where it's just a JPEG, but this is actual fine art. That's exchanging hands, and you're seeing artists now being compensated for something that uh, historically they would have just gotten maybe a small dollar amount, and then everyone else is making the money. The Sotheby's are making the money after the fact, so that's interesting space to watch as well. Well, it's also interesting because it breaks the presupposition, which is you so much of. And I'm sorry, I'm not hating on VCs, but this just happens to be something I've been thinking about recently. The you so much of that VC model is how many users do you have, how many clicks do you have, how many. Yes. And if you're an artist, actually, the higher value proposition is to say, I'm going to make 100 of this, and I'm going to make each one individually. And the mere fact that I've done that is going to make them more valuable. And by the way, that you know, that correlates to what you've got on the, the NFT side. Yeah, makes sense. So I do think that's you know something that we think about is, do you have to be the largest company to be successful? It's almost like you have to be the most nimble. <laughs> And again, you know, you're, I mean, sorry, I keep coming back to media because I know it's what you're, you're doing. The, the, some of the most successful media companies are run by 10, 12 people. Yeah. Yeah. Very lean, very lean. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, once you've replicated the model that works and you know how to maximize the use of the platform, then it's really, it's an easy opportunity to scale. Cause at that point, you're just looking to grow and get more readers or get more listeners, whatever, whatever fits the model. Yeah. And I think it's a brave new world we're getting into. So as we wrap up, I want to appreciate you coming back on and sharing some of the exciting things that are happening with Contain. But outside of the world of, of vertical farming, like in your day-to-day, -day, what else is, is keeping you busy? <laughs> what else have you been getting into? 
so I still have a VC side to my world. So though I'm not going to talk about it too much publicly, that is really helpful because it, it gives me another perspective. It means you don't end up being too too myopic about, about things. It's very easy to get into your own hole. So that helps me not do that. And then I am off to Vegas okay. on Thursday. I have a birthday on Friday. So I am going to go. And for the first time in like three years, we can actually go celebrate and go do stuff and go hang out with people. So super excited about that as well. What learnings from the VC side do you find are applicable in, in what you're doing at Contain? So, I mean, the, the thing that I find most helpful, I mean, there's always the stats and stuff, right? And who's doing which deal and all that kind of insidery gossip stuff. But the more interesting thing for me is the, is the mindset. And it's very interesting, like, because we talk to such a diversity of folks, you know, we talk to farmers who have a very different perspective on what's going on in the markets. You know, they're worried about fertilizer prices and about, you know, about being able to get hold of equipment. And, and then you go talk to the VCs and they are talking about, you know, the valuations coming down and about, you know, how much dry powder they need to hold back to support their portfolio companies and things like that. So it's just, you know, it's realizing that there are many different kind of worldviews out there. But I think, you know, the most useful one right now is VC is going to be less available. It just is. Yeah. And is that, is that something that, how do you think about that moving forward? And is that any, does that result in you changing any perspectives about the deals you t- that you look for or just the availability of deals? Not really. I mean, it's obviously going to, for Contain, it doesn't really have an impact um, other than we do worry about what are people's balance sheets going to look like. Yeah. On the on the VC side, no. I mean, it, VCs always had cycles. You just got to you know, try to make new mistakes, not dumb mistakes. And are, are there any industries on the VC side that you see as up and coming that have piqued your attention? I mean, so again, I have to be a little careful because this is all kind sure. of covered by confidentiality. But if you look at where the sectors that are hot right now, it's ag tech's doing very well. Anything crypto related is was doing well. I think it's a bit cold now, but I think that'll come back. Sure. And then anything that's around efficiency in healthcare is still still interesting. It's not nowhere near as hot as it was, but it's still kind of interesting to folks. Yeah. Well, definitely uh, sectors to. to keep in mind. So anything else that's coming up for Contain event-wise that you want to talk about? And also just give you the opportunity, as obviously, you know, the audience for this show. Is there an ask you have of, of the audience? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the ask is is always if you're interested in leasing, if you're interested in talking to us either on the vendor side or on the, the lender side, would always love to chat with folks. If folks have farms full of equipment, they, and I apologize for the noise, if folks have farms full of equipment that they either looking for or looking to dispose of, then please either reach out to us or take a look at Equipped. Yeah. And then if there's, a, I mean, we don't get many, you probably don't get many big corporate listeners, right? I don't know. It's uh, maybe, yeah, you never know. It could be employees from there as well. So, but if there's anyone who's interested in, in uh, working on the micro learning side, either being interviewed for one of our stories or supplying mushroom bags or grow kits, always love to hear from them. Have you talked to the team at Smallhold? We haven't because they're doing something completely different, but yeah, maybe we should talk to them about mushroom bags. I, my guess is they've got much bigger things to <laughs> worry about the mushroom bags. But yeah, this is, uh, yeah, they're doing great work. Yeah, I had uh, Andrew Carter on a couple of episodes after you back in 2020 as well. He's, that was a really nice conversation. So it's, it's nice to see that that specific space in mushrooms is when you think about varieties and opportunities there. And then even just tapping into what you talked about psychedelics, at some point there could be some interesting opportunities in that space as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Yep. 
Well, I want to thank you for coming back on and just giving us an update. A lot has happened in two years. So I'm glad to see that you guys are making progress and branching out into a bunch of different initiatives. And obviously the space is as vibrant as ever. And there's a lot of still opportunities for people who are, you know, taking the right approach and being smart about the next deals they work on and then, and then continuing to work with folks like, uh, like the team you have at Contain, I think is, is a viable option for them if they're looking to grow. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me and congrats again on the success of the podcast. Thanks, Nicola. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Nicola for coming on the show and sharing her story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. I'm grateful for my guests for taking the time an hour out of their day to come and share what's happening in the world of indoor farming. Special thanks to our season five title sponsors, Cultivated. If you are looking into a vertical farm and you don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com and that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out that last E. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co about how a podcast may be helpful for your business. As a reminder, if you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Okay, next week, tune in. We've got a conversation with Ali Damiali. He's the founder and CEO of Harvests, and we connected at Indoor Ag Tech NYC, and it was a pleasure to have him on the show. I'm really fascinated by his model, and I think uh, you will be too. He's dubbed it Farming as a Service, which I think is super cool. So excited to share that with you next episode. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published. 